At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, for you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. The last few Sundays, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew, especially the the portion of the, the Gospel where Jesus is preparing his apostles to send them out two by two to prepare the towns where he's going to preach. And today's Gospel, we pick up, they've come back, and he's rejoicing with them. He says, I saw, you know, the devil's falling from heaven, right? He's rejoicing at all the power, all the things that they did. They healed people. They preached the gospel. They prepared the towns. They're all excited. And this gospel is now Jesus' internal reflection after he's spoken. He turns to the Father and offers this prayer. And I praise you, Father, that you've revealed these things. These things that were hidden from most people don't get. You've revealed them to the little ones, not to the wise and the learned. No, understand the proud. Right? It's, that's been your gracious will. He's almost marveling of all that God did through these simple fishermen and that this father that no one really knows or understands, uh, and he's able to reveal him, right? First to these 12, and then when he sends them out through their message and eventually his visiting to more, right? And then he turns, those three women, he turns then to, to everybody. And he says, come to me, all you who are wearied and labored and and, and heavy burdened, right? Uh, come to me and listen, I'll give you words of everlasting life. You know, learn from me. Learn this mystery that not a lot of people understand, but only the simple of heart, and you'll find rest. So it's almost a theological reflection on this dynamic of the preaching of the gospel that he's preached first to his 12 and then sent them out to preach, right? So that's what we've been kind of covering up to now. I want to dig into just briefly to St. Paul and the Romans because it's the same dynamic, right? But now Jesus is gone. His apostles are out there working and building the church. St. Paul, who didn't work with Jesus personally, is now writing to the Romans, the same same dynamic. The only church actually that Paul didn't found that he wrote to. He founded the church in Ephesus and Galatia and Corinthian. And so he was writing in those letters to people he had started the church. This time, he's writing to a church he has not been to yet, introducing himself and then explaining the gospel. But briefly then, what he writes to them, the first eight chapters are all of introducing himself and then talking about faith and accepting this faith in Christ. And then chapter eight onward, he's, okay, once you've believed, this is what your life should look like. This is the new life that you've believed in. This is how you should live now. No longer as Romans or as pagans or as whatever you were before. This is the new life. Let me explain it to you, which is what he's doing in the passage we read. And he tells them this. 
you are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you're in the spirit. So the new register in which you're to operate and to live is not a fleshly, earthly, pagan existence, but now live according to a new law, which is the law of the spirit, the law of this gospel that Jesus preached and sends out and gives power, right? And in fact, he repeats the same idea. He says, we are not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. We don't own sin and that lifestyle and that way of being. You don't own that anything. You belong to someone else now. That was when you were a slave. Now you're free. Now you've been saved. This is where it's so easy to go back, right? And we need to remind, no, no, that's not you. You don't don't have anything to do with that. You don't owe it anything. This is where you need to be in Christ, right? This resurrection, this newness of life. And he presents this new life as an option between living in the spirit or living in the flesh. And this is an invitation to live in the spirit according to the gospel, according to this new gospel that we preach to you of love, mercy, of forgiveness, of preaching a new truth, right, that God has come to teach, which not a lot of people understand, only the simple-hearted. Not simple as far as, like, stupid or uneducated, but simple as far as they, they appreciate the simplicity, don't look for complications, aren't overly proud and kind of tied up in their own intellectuality, like the sophists or other philosophies of the day that Paul was dealing with. No, it's the simple. Jesus came. He revealed the Father. He said to live this way. Okay, I accept. I believe, and I'll live this way. A very simple internal dynamic. He called. The apostles dropped their nets and followed. Very simple. The simple-hearted catch it. Living between the spirit or the flesh. Thinking of a modern example of, of this dynamic, and, and pardon me if I use a, a very banal kind of cultural phenomena or story to enlighten the same thing, but I think it's a classic, and because it's, it's a classic, because it really tells a profound human truth, and that's the, the story of Pinocchio, right? That classical Italian story, the original written in the end of the 1800s, I think 1860, 1870, and then was spread, and obviously Disney picks it up in 1940. But it's an amazing paradigm of this and story of this basic dynamic, right? I won't tell the whole story. You're familiar with it. No, this this young, or actually just piece of wood that seems to have life that's given to Geppetto. He carves it, makes a little marionette out of it, a doll. And then he longs to have a son. And he's this little doll's in given life, right? And in the Disney version, it's great because the command of the angel that gives him life is, if you learn to be courageous, honest, and truthful, you'll become a son. Like What I just, you were carved into something that was dead. This good Geppetto, this good father, longs for a son. You can become that if you learn to have a heart like Geppetto. You learn good and evil, and you start to choose the good and learn to live great, you'll become that. And the adventures of Pinocchio are him learning that. His whole, and the original is a little darker. <laughs> uh, the, the Italian version of all of the things he has to go through to learn this truth, right? We know one of the famous is his nose grows when he lies, right? There's an external manifestation of his dishonesty, his rebelling, not living like Geppetto, not living up to his, the dignity that's offered to him. He's created to become he rejects it. One, because he's young and he's figuring it out. He's learning. He's got this little Jiminy Cricket conscious that's helping, you know, to lead him there. 
but he's failing, right? And when he does, externally becomes evident, right? It's like this, another cultural film, the story of Dorian Gray, right? The painting that becomes and reflects the soul of Dorian as he falls into debauchery, right? It's the same dynamic, right? If we could physically see what our souls become through choice, whether noble, beautiful, and elegant, or disproportionate, disfigured, out of whack, ugly, then we would choose perhaps much differently, but it's an internal moral dynamic that eventually becomes apparent to others. Living according to the spirit as a true son, living according to that dignity we received at baptism, or living according to the flesh, according to the prince of this world, according to the evil and selfishness and, and degrading choices, right? That's the moral choice before the Christian. That was what was before those who the apostles were sent to. That's who Jesus came to save. It's what Paul was preaching when he was writing to the Romans. It, it doesn't put it all on us, but a portion is on us, our choices, right? And so it's important for us that you don't owe that spirit of the flesh anything. You're now, thanks to baptism, a new creature. And you want to live according to that new dignity. That's the invitation of the moral life. That's the invitation to holiness. So in this Mass, let's pray for the grace to live according to the, the sonship, the daughtership, what we've received, our dignity in Christ. We are new creations. Let's live according to that new creation. And we receive, through the grace of the Eucharist, that nourishment from God himself, that life of God himself. He shares it with us, that call to love, right? And that's why it's Jesus, sacrifice on the night. Even though he's been betrayed, he loves. And he says, do this in memory. What's this? The this is love, even when others abandon you, even when it's difficult. Live up to that. Live like, reveal the Father through your choices. Do this. Suffer out of love and what's the result of that? Resurrection, newness of life, life in the spirit. Do this. So as we do this, let's pray that that renews our own desire, our own convictions, our own love for living according to what the Lord asks of us. And so that we experience then this lightness, right? The lightness of this yoke, this rest that we'll find for ourselves when we learn from him this yoke that's easy, this burden that's light, that's life-giving. That's my prayer for all of you, for myself in this Eucharist. And let's also not forget to pray for all of those in our lives that also we pray and desire, learn this lesson that's revealed to the simple uh, and, and kept perhaps from the proud. Amen.